Well, good morning. Uh, so glad uh, to be with you this morning. Glad you've chosen to be with us at the 9 a.m. service. And uh, as Marnie just prayed, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, and if I have not met you, I would love to meet you. Uh, I try to get out there by the connect table and tent after the service to say hello and greet. So please come by. Uh, I'd love to connect with you. Well, we're in the third week of a six-week sermon series titled Signposts, Hope in a Broken World. Uh, we are looking at the Gospel of John and the signposts that God has given to the world that help us feel oriented in the midst of disorientation. Signposts that point us in the appropriate direction for meaning and purpose in life. Uh, we, we have preached so far on the signposts of love and freedom. And if you've been with us, I hope you're seeing so far that these signposts aren't things we've merely plucked out of thin air. Uh, rather, we believe that these are things that Scripture reveals that God has given to the world, that in some sense every human being longs for these things, Christian or non-Christian. Yet as Christians, we believe that these signposts point to and find their ultimate destination in God. So the third signpost that we're going to look at this morning in this series is the signpost of beauty. Beauty. I think we all would agree that the human soul is hungry for beauty. I mean, we seek it everywhere. We look for it in landscapes, in music, in art, in clothes, in furniture, in gardening, in friendships, in love, and even in religion. We are hungry for beauty. Yet we live fast-paced and hurried lives that prevent us from slowing down enough to behold beauty. We live ego-driven lives that lead us to be consumed with ourselves rather than allowing beauty to take us beyond ourselves. We live consumer-driven lives that, that, that lead us to take and to use from society rather than beholding beauty as an end in itself. We live in anxious times that lead us to be uneasy about our life in this world rather than allowing beauty to lead us to transcendence and peace. But I think everyone would agree that the human soul is hungry for beauty. And so I want us to look at John chapter 1 this morning as we look at this signpost of beauty. If you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word to us this morning. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. 
Oh, God, we need you to speak to us. The word that was written thousands of years ago, we need you, Holy Spirit, to bring it to life so that the word might be planted deep in our hearts and our souls so that you would bear fruit in and through us. I pray that the words that I speak would be pleasing to you. I pray that the thoughts and meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. And I pray that you would lead us to you who are, is our rock and our redeemer, that you, Jesus, would speak, for we are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a couple of summers ago, uh, if you've been around, you know this, that uh, I was afforded the privilege of having a sabbatical, which was an incredible gift to me and to my family. And for part of the summer, we lived in Wyoming. Because we love the mountains, uh, I personally love the mountains. I love the view of mountains. I love the view from a mountain. I love hiking in the mountains. I love fishing in mountains and the streams of these uh, trout streams in the mountains. I love weather in the mountains. And so we went to Wyoming. And as our flight was landing in Jackson, Wyoming, we looked out the windows of our airplane and we saw the Grand Teton Mountains, which I had never seen before. Now, I'd spent... I've spent time in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Obviously, we're, we're near that, uh, the, the, that mountain range. I've spent time in the Rocky Mountains. I've even spent time in the Himalayan Mountains. But the pure majesty and drama of the Tetons are a sight to behold. And for the next few weeks, we would wake up as the sun rose upon the Teton Mountains. We would go to bed as the sun would set upon the Teton Mountains. We were immersed in beauty. Now, a little time before our sabbatical, my wife Rachel and I realized something that we use the word pretty too much. And every time we came across beauty, we would say pretty. And so for fun, we played a little game between the two of us that carried into sabbatical that we could not use the word pretty to describe anything beautiful. We would have to get creative and come up with new vocabulary words. And so here we are in Wyoming. And we see the Snake River winding through the flatlands with the Teton Mountains in the background. And we couldn't say, that's pretty. We'd be hiking in the Grand Teton National Park and we would come out of an enclosed trail. And all of a sudden, we'd be on this trail winding through an open field of wild flowers. And we couldn't say, that's pretty. Or you get the game. Well, it was much harder than you might expect. I think it's hard because when you come across beauty... There are often no words to describe what's being experienced. Beauty often strikes a person silent. When someone beholds beauty, you don't need to be told to admire it. You're simply filled with admiration. And so I want us to look at three things this morning in regards to beauty. I want to look at beauty's definition, beauty's power, and beauty's aim. Let's look first at beauty's definition. Now, when you read the Bible at first glance, it might seem like the Bible doesn't talk a lot about beauty. If you were to look throughout the Bible for the word beauty, it's used, but not that often. And so to understand the Bible's definition of beauty, I think there are two mistakes that we have to be mindful of not making. The first mistake is this. We must not miss that the Bible itself is beautiful. Now, I don't have time to get into every genre of writing represented in the Bible. But the Bible is full of poetry and prose, which is a beautiful form of writing in itself. And all you have to do is read the Psalms in the Old Testament and be struck by its beauty. 
As one Old Testament scholar whom we all love here at Christ Central, who's a part of our church, Dr. Brent Strawn, argues the whole Bible, in some sense, could be understood as poetry. For the force of the whole Bible is an invitation to experience God through its beauty as you read it from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, just take our passage this morning in John chapter 1. It's known as the prologue to John's gospel, and it's poetic. Did you, catch, did you catch the poetry? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You are immediately drawn in to feel what's being communicated. The prose of John's writing leads you to feel the melody of the gospel music that he's about to sing and write about for the next 21 chapters of his gospel. T.S. Eliot wrote, Poetry, like music, should communicate before it's understood. The Bible in one sense does this from Genesis to Revelation. It communicates who God is before we fully understand God. Can you not feel that happening here in John chapter 1? But the the poetry and and the music of the gospel, it's coming to life even if we don't understand everything John is trying to say here in John chapter 1. As N.T. Wright says, the prologue functions like a great doorway, inviting us into a house that is filled corridor by corridor, room by room with more beauty. If you read the scriptures, you will experience the beauty throughout the Old and New Testament. You'll read the creation account in Genesis, the liberation of God's people out of slavery in Exodus, the emotional and theological prayers of the Psalms, the cries for justice in the prophets, the portrait of Jesus' life in the Gospels, the acts of the church in the New Testament, and the glorious vision of God's kingdom in Revelation. And through it all, it is an invitation to be struck by the beauty of God. An invitation to experience God before we completely understand everything about God. Because the Bible is beautiful. The second mistake that we need to avoid is that we must not miss that the word glory connotes beauty. And glory is used all throughout the Bible. It's used in our passage in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word that became flesh is God's glory, is God's beauty. And if we want to understand God's glory and beauty, which is the Word, we have to understand what John is saying in the larger context of the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter of the Bible, in the beginning God created by His Word. Psalm 33, verse 6 tells us, it is the word by which the heavens were made. Every time I preach, Isaiah 40 tells us, uh, I quote Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Isaiah 55 tells us that God's word will accomplish his purposes of bringing new creation out of the brokenness of this world. So don't miss what John is beautifully doing here in our chapter. He is bringing together the story of God creating the glorious world in the beginning by his word with the story of Jesus unveiling his glory through new creation, the redemption and restoration of all that is broken. The creator God created all things by his word, and Jesus is the word bringing new creation. 
both the act of creation by God's word in the beginning and the act of new creation through Jesus, the word made flesh, declare the glory of God. And if this is true, then all beauty is a pointer to the presence of the living God in the midst of our world. Beauty is a signpost that finds its ultimate destination in God. So beauty, it's, it really is hard to define. It's hard to define, but we know it when we've experienced it. It's, it's almost that moment when something on the outside resonates with something in our inside, that harmony that causes our souls to go, yes, yes. And what I'm saying this morning is that yes that we've all experienced points to God and to his world. Let's look secondly at beauty's power. Now I've already stated that verse 1 and 2 of John chapter 1, it harkens us back to Genesis creation account. And the word that created in the beginning is now the word creating anew. Jesus is the word of God ushering in a new heaven and a new earth through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. That the glory of Jesus is that he promises, promises all of us that there is more than the pain and brokenness we experience in this life. But there is more because we live with a horizon of God's kingdom coming. Jesus is redeeming all the brokenness of our world. He will renew and he will restore all that is wrong in the world. And so for th the first thing about beauty's power is that it enlarges our view of the world. Beauty offers us refreshment. Beauty, it gives us this elevation to behold our true origin as, as created in God's image and, and our real and ultimate destination of being with God in his new creation. It's the power of beauty. Some of you might know the name Mako Fujimura. He's a Japanese artist who's a Christian. And he's, he's an incredible artist who studied in the ancient Japanese art technique called kintsugi. And kintsugi is the tradition that prioritizes beholding broken pieces of pottery and art and repairing it by creating something new, often using gold in the broken and cracked fissures. So Mako takes poetry, uh, pottery and art and mends it together with gold to make new creations that now sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. Beautiful art that communicates the truth of God. That God has taken our broken lives and this broken world and he is mending it together and he's making us new creations and he's making this world a new creation through the perfect life of Christ and his death on our behalf. Beauty's power is that it tells us there is more that there is more than the brokenness of this world, that there is a kingdom coming, a new creation. Beauty lifts us out of the muck and mire of our own broken lives and this broken world, and it sets us on higher ground to live with a grand vision, to live with a new horizon. The second thing I'll say about beauty's power is that, is that beauty extends grace within grief. 
Beauty extends grace within grief. Look at verse 5 and verse 9. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. This again is an echo from Genesis chapter 1. When God spoke light into the darkness of the earth, which was formless and void, that out of nothing, out of darkness, God created light. Our lives can be filled with despair and darkness. Our lives can be filled with grief, a deep sadness because of loss. Often the life that we live is not the life that, that it should be or what we hoped it would be. We've all experienced the despair and the sadness and loss of life. Each of us carries grief in our lives in various ways. And the poetry and music of John chapter 1 is saying, out of hopelessness, out of despair, out of darkness, Jesus is the light of the world that burst into the darkness and offers us grace and gives us hope. This is the power and the reality of Jesus' resurrection. That out of darkness, out of death, out of the tomb, Jesus rose triumphant over sin, death, and the devil. That it is through resurrection that we can trust that darkness does not win, evil does not win. Jesus won the battle and his kingdom will win. Therefore, Christians, we have hope. Beauty has the power to pull us out of our sadness, out of our pain, out of the darkness of this world to behold the grace of God and the hope we have in Christ. Beauty, it keeps our hearts soft as we live in a world filled with darkness and evil, where it is easy for us to become disheartened, tired, and hopeless. Beauty can set us free with a heart rekindled with love and grace and courage restored to live with hope and not despair. The year of 2014 was a year filled with much racial unrest in our country. Now, the shooting of Michael Brown, the protest in Ferguson, Missouri, protest then spread throughout our country, and I was deeply saddened by what I was seeing and what we were all experiencing in regards to racial oppression in our country. And I can vividly remember February 8, 2015, so coming out of 2014, Rachel and I turned on our TVs February 8, 2015, to watch the Oscars, which is something we like to do every year. And while we were watching, one of my favorite artists, John Legend, appeared on the stage. And then rapper Common rose up onto the stage and they would burst into the song Glory from the movie Selma. And it was the first time I'd ever heard the song. One day when the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. One day when the war is won, we will be sure. We will be sure, oh glory. Hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Formed against, yes, glory is destined. Every day, women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. And I literally started crying. And tears filled my eyes. And I was moved in that moment from grieving because of the sadness of our world to hope for what our world should and could be. Great art and great beauty extends grace to us. In the midst of our grief, we are given hope of a better world. 
Blaise Pascal said, in difficult times, carry beauty in the mind. So let me just encourage all of us. If you feel your heart becoming hardened by the realities of your life, by the realities of this world, if you start to feel despairing and low, carry beauty in your mind and heart. Go find and experience what you think is beautiful, for it is God's gift to grace us with uh, his grace in the midst of grief. The glory and beauty of God is that he brings life out of death. Jesus' resurrection proclaims this to our hearts, and it is the most glorious and the most beautiful thing the world has ever known. My last point is beauty's aim. Not just beauty's definition or beauty's power, but beauty's aim. Look at verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt here is the Greek word for tabernacle. Literally, it would be read, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That in Christ, God tabernacled among us. This again is an echo of the Old Testament. Not of Genesis, but of Exodus. Where God commanded his people who had been set free out of slavery in Egypt to build a tabernacle. A place of God's dwelling. And the people would carry the tabernacle everywhere they went. For it was God's presence among them. If you were to read the second half of the book of Exodus, it's all about beauty. Because it's all about the construction of the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a thing of extreme beauty. It was rich in color and adornment. It was a beautiful place for the most beautiful one to dwell. And Jesus now comes to tabernacle among the world. And verse 12 tells us that through Jesus, we become children of God. And later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will write in 1 Corinthians that when we become children of God, we become the temple of God. That we become the tabernacle of God. The Spirit of God dwells within us. That our hearts and our souls become the place of God's dwelling, of God's glory, a place of beholding beauty. This is why as Christians we avail ourselves to the beauty all around us. We, we allow it to stir our hearts and lead us to find our life in communion with God all the more glorious and all the more beautiful. For those of you here that are not Christians, you're just asking questions around Christianity. We are glad you're here. And, and let me say this for, for those who, who are not Christians here. When you've experienced that yes of beauty, that time when something on the outside resonated with something deep on the inside, right? The, the yes that you've experienced. Your heart has connected with what it means that you are created in the image of God. What I'm saying this morning is that it, it is God's gift. It, beauty is God's gift and God's grace to point you to finding your life in God. And then scripture reveals to us the special grace of how we become children of God. Faith in the word becoming flesh, faith in Christ. And as we believe in Jesus, our hearts and our souls become the place of God's dwelling. The human heart and soul is the tabernacle of divine beauty, the place where glory dwells through Jesus by his spirit. Beauty's aim is to draw us into communion with God. It's a signpost that finds its ultimate destination in God. And so let me end this morning by giving you some application to practice beauty. Because we, we all need some encouragement to practice beauty. Here's the first application. Sabbath and solitude. Sabbath and solitude. I'm not sure 
If you've seen the eight spiritual practices that we've put before you this year as a means to spiritual formation, there are eight practices that we've kind of embodied as a church for years now, but we've just kind of put kind of a a framing around them and encouraging you to live into them. And we're trying to resource each of these practices. And, And one of the practices is Sabbath and solitude. What Sabbath and solitude is, it's an invitation to slow down. It's an invitation to stop working, to cease working, to silence the noise, to enter rest. That God has given us one day out of seven to Sabbath. And then there will be times when you might want or need to have more extended times of silence and solitude. The Sabbath and solitude are gifts of God for us to experience beauty. When we slow down, we actually can behold beauty. When we experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in prayer and in worship, the ego diminishes and beauty takes us beyond ourselves. When we cast all our anxieties and cares upon God, God can lead us to his ways that are higher than our ways. And he grants us peace through beauty. Here's the second practice of application. Attention and gaze. Attention and gaze. Pay attention with your eyes and with your ears to the beauty that is all around us. Don't let urgency or greed cause you to rush to and from and miss all that is around you. Pay attention. And in the words of John O'Donohue, beautify your gaze. Listen to music. Read poetry. Visit an art gallery. Go for a walk in Duke Gardens. Listen, truly listen to the laughter of a child. Behold a sunset. Throw a dinner party with friends. Sometimes we have such a fixed view of this world because of how hurried we live. Let beauty expand your vision and unite you to God who is with you and who is at work in this world. The third and last application is reverence. Develop reverence. Reverence is a respect before mystery. And if God is the creator of the world and Jesus is ushering in new creation, we are simply receivers of the gift of creation, receivers of his special revelation of grace that draws us into a relationship with Christ as we become children of God. What reverence does is that it creates humility. We are humbled by the greatness of God through creation and we are humbled by the greatness of God through the grace of the gospel that is freely offered to us in Christ. And living with reverence leads all of us to dignify all people, to behold all people as the image of God and to see each and every person as beautiful. It leads us to live curious lives of wonder in this created world, curious at how God is at work all around us, ushering in new creation. This reverence, it sets us free from judgment, from prejudice, from pride. The earth is full of thresholds where beauty causes reverence, and it leads us to wonder and to be struck with awe. Uh, On Wednesday night, uh, it was one of these times for me, a threshold for me, but uh, Brian Stevenson spoke at, at Duke Chapel. Brian Stevenson is a public rights attorney author of Just Mercy, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, and it was an amazing night. And he shared about one of these times in his life. Uh, It was a few years ago. He was on his way to work uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, 
and he had been experiencing weeks of difficulty that had discouraged him and, and what he was doing. And so one Wednesday morning, he decided to stop and, and grab breakfast on his way to work, to go in, grab it, and, and head out. And he walked in, and there was a group of five older African-American women sitting at a table. And, and as he was leaving, one of them shouted out, Hey, come here. Hey, come here. And he didn't know they were talking to him. And it took him third time for her to say, Hey, come here. And he realized, Oh, they're, they're talking to me. So he went over to the table, and she said, Bend down. He kind of bent down a little. She said, Bend down a little further. And he bent down. And then she kissed him on his forehead. And then she just said, keep on keeping on. And Brian said he, he went out, got in his car, and he cried for the next seven minutes. That it was a holy moment. That it was a reverent moment. Her honoring him, him honoring her, and it was beautiful. And it led him to keep on keeping on, to fight against what is wrong in this world and to long for what is to come. And so let me end by saying this, Christ Central Church. There is no greater beauty, there is no greater threshold of beauty than the cross of Jesus Christ, where justice and mercy kiss. There is no greater beauty than the empty tomb of Jesus where light exploded into darkness and Christ conquered sin, death, and the grave. And if you slow down, and you gaze upon Christ, the beauty might just take your breath away. For it's here when your heart will return home shouting, yes, for you and I were made to behold beauty and there's nothing more beautiful than God. Let's pray. Well, God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, hearts to trust and to believe how beautiful you are. Lord, help us to see that all beauty finds its origin in you. Help us to experience the power of beauty. And Lord, would it lead us to find our life in communion with you deeper and deeper each day with you who are beautiful and beholding the beauty that you've gifted us with, not just in creation, but also in the grace offered freely in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.